so for the next several weeks, we are going to be in a letter, uh, a letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. It's called First Thessalonians. And I've been thinking about letter writing and meaningful letter writing and some of those opportunities I've had to do some of my own. And I think about the times that people um, in this congregation, some of you, have asked me to write a letter of recommendation, which I've been glad to do. I think sometimes people think if the pastor speaks, then it really is the truth. No. But I love to think sincerely, how can I communicate a letter of reference and recommendation and character reference? I want to speak a trusted word, so I'm very careful. But I've also been thinking in the last couple of weeks, uh, what has been very meaningful for me as far as letter writing is I have a few members of my extended family who are in prison. So I have been writing a couple of letters, really over the last month for the first time writing to family members um, in jail. And um, that has been particularly poignant in terms of really stopping to think about what I'm writing and what I really want them to hear. I really want them to hear in a world that I'm uh, imagining is hostile and not a real nurturing place. I want them to hear how much I care, I sincerely care. And underneath that, I want them to hear how much God cares for them and loves them. I want them to hear this nurturing word in what probably is not a very nurturing environment. When Paul wrote this letter, um, he was writing after he had been in a very hostile environment in the city of Thessalonica. And he wasn't really expecting to go to Thessalonica, and then somehow the Spirit of God said, nope, this is my plan, and diverted his plan and took him to the city on the northern part there in what is now Greece. You can see the name Thessalonica down there in the water, maybe if you look real hard under Philippi. And he was there really proclaiming who Jesus is, that Jesus is God's Messiah, which is pretty amazing because it hadn't been that long ago that he was saying no that this teaching about jesus is blasphemy and he was one of the hostile ones toward people who were following jesus but he met the risen jesus jesus turned his life around and now he's in thessalonica and he's only there for three weeks not that long but he has the opportunity to share with them the amazing news about God coming to us in the flesh in Jesus Christ and being our deliverer, being the one who turns our lives around and gives us new life. Well, he got a very hostile reception there, and yet there were people who believed. There were Jews. There were Gentiles, amazingly enough, outsiders. There were women mentioned, outsiders, once again, who did believe his message. So as soon as he got to Corinth... He wrote them a letter. This is the earliest letter that we have in the Bible. In this letter, it's really important to him that he communicates to them the sincerity of his heart and the fact that what happened while he was with them is something they could trust. So I want you to listen as I read this passage. I'm going to be in 1 Thessalonians 2 for three things. One is you're going to hear the phrase, as you know, as you know, which is Paul basically saying, we experienced something together. We experienced something together that was real. The next thing you're going to hear, or I want you to listen for, is family language. He's talking to them and addressing them like they're family. He just met them. They're still relatively strangers to him. So listen to that. 
Also listen to how he's bending over backwards to convince them that what happened and who he is is trustworthy. They can trust who he is. They can trust the message, this nurturing love of God that has come to us in Jesus Christ. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, let me pray and we will listen to God's word. Jesus, thank you that you are alive, you are here in our midst, you love us greater than we will ever know, and we pray that we will hear you, that we will encounter your risen presence with us, speaking your trustworthy, nurturing words of love and hope. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 2, beginning at verse 1, listen to God's word to you. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God, who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from others, that we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. You remember our labor and toil, brothers and sisters. We work night and day so that we might not burden any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how pure, upright, and blameless our conduct was toward you believers. As you know, we dealt with each one of you like a father with his children, urging and encouraging you and pleading that you lead a life worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We also constantly give thanks to God for this, that when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as what it really is, God's word, which is also at work in you believers. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own compatriots as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They displeased God and opposed everyone by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. Thus they have constantly been filling up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath has overtaken them at last gift of God's word. As you know, there was an experience they had when they were with Paul, and Paul is saying, it's real. You can trust it. Even though I've only known you for a few weeks, something so powerful happened that we are like family, experiencing the love and the grace of God together. 
That last phrase in the passage perhaps was jarring to you that they are overtaken by the wrath of God. I think it's good for us to remember Paul's experience. He really was overtaken by the love of God, the saving grace of God when he was that same hostile party. Our conduct, every single thing we did was out of this good news of God's love for us. You can trust it. Paul could have signed that letter sincerely yours. God's love is sincerely yours. I think that's why the church is here. We are here to tell one another of all the things that you are weighing in your life, who is there for me? Which way am I to go? Who can I trust? What can I trust? We're here to remind one another that this is real. Who God is in Jesus Christ, you can trust this. And we are that message to one another, right? We could go Thursday, there was the national prayer breakfast in Foster City. Many of you were there. Raise your hand if you were at the prayer breakfast. Yoo-hoo! Got the women, Hope House women here, all right. The great thing about the prayer breakfast is that it's like a Hope House reunion. And there are so many people that have grown through the program and are doing the great work that the women are doing right now, and they're still doing that great work. And the wonderful thing about that is that there's many people from this church who partner in that work. In fact, Trinity has had the privilege of being partners in that healing work that God is doing from the beginning of Hope House. Some of you knew John Edmonds in this church for many, many decades. John Edmonds was a retired sheriff who got tired of watching what was happening as women were coming out of prison, but because addiction issues were never addressed, they were going right back in. It was just this cycle of recidivism. And so he worked with some other people in setting up this residential treatment program called Hope House. So it was really delightful to be at the prayer breakfast and to watch the women moving around the room and hugging one another and hugging Trinity folks and Trinity folks hugging them. And it was like, wow, this is so great that we get to be a part of this experience of God's grace and healing love, nurturing something you can trust in a season of life when perhaps a lot of these women are thinking, I'm not even sure I can trust myself. That here we are in worship, in prayer together. Most of the women that were there at that reunion, at the National Prayer Breakfast, have been in worship here with us, have written their prayer requests. In fact, praise God for the Hope House women who write their prayer requests out and give them to us in the offering plate more than any of you. And we get them... They're emailed to us, and oftentimes they're emailed to you, and I want to read to you some of their prayer requests that came after Easter, or on Easter. Please pray for my family and I to be reunited and for my three kids to be safe and to know Mama loves them. Thank you. 30 more days at Hope House working toward getting into my son's lives. Prayers for love, happiness, understanding in their hearts. Thank you. I would like prayer for the Hope House women that we may do the will of God and help us get along and grow into the women God intended us to be. Oh my gosh. It's a privilege to pray with you. Yes, underneath it all, 
in the midst of a lot of things you're not sure you can trust, in the midst of very challenging circumstances, yes, the power and love of God in our lives is real. And we are here to say that to one another, proclaim that to one another. I drove back in a car uh, with some of the women who have been through the program, and they were talking. I was sitting in the back seat and just overhearing, and we were talking about uh, receiving home, and uh, two of the women basically said that's where they grew up, in a receiving home, in a foster home. And their parents were really the staff in that home. That was striking to me, stunning to me. And I think of the promise of God through Isaiah 49, where it says, Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? A question is just unheard of. And then the next verse, Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. We are here together to say this is real. You are inscribed on the palms of God's hand in Jesus Christ. And this nurturing love of God is for you, and it's real. And of all the things you're not sure you can trust, you can trust this. This is why we're here. Thessalonians, Paul is saying, Jesus went way out of his way so that you could know this. You are inscribed on the palms of God's hands in Jesus Christ. God sees you. God loves you. God is coming after you, finding you, lifting you, healing you, and making you a testimony to others to know that it's true. It's real. You can trust it. I wrote to John Edmonds and thanked him for getting Hope House started, for this great partnership with Trinity, helping us to be the church, like Paul, reminding one another when we're not sure who we can trust, what we can trust, that it is real. A week ago, um, there was an article in the paper, I don't know if you saw, it was on the front page of the Chronicle, see if I can find it. I'm one of those few people that gets the paper delivered to my house still. I think I'm the only one in my neighborhood still gets the paper delivered to my house. But it was about, um, the title of it is Homeless and Lost Until Photo Appears. And it's this story about two brothers who grew up in Danville. You're going to see a picture, actually, of the brother who now lives in Ohio. His name is Baron. And the one on the left is his older brother, Tyson. Baron's on the right. So Tyson is 40 years old now. Uh, Baron is 38 years old. Um, it's been seven years since that picture was taken and seven years since Baron, the one who's getting married, now lives in Ohio, saw his brother last. And Tyson, when they went through high school in Danville, was quite the rock star, actually. He was a football player. He was a jokester. Everybody enjoyed him. He did well in school. He got out of school, went to Chico, didn't necessarily finish college, but he got a job as a mortgage broker, sales. He was doing well. And then, 2008, when the recession hit, he lost his job. He ended up living with his grandmother, 94 years old, who eventually died, and soon after that, he was homeless. Now, both of these men, Baron and Tyson, were heavy drinkers in, as young adults. Baron moved on from that, but Tyson never did. So Baron had this fear 
that Tyson was in trouble, and it's true that he was. He'd been living on the streets of San Francisco and going from alcohol to meth to heroin. So the article really is about the fact that a few months ago, Tyson, living on the streets of San Francisco as a really, um, in a real, as a hopeless addict, quite frankly, um, he was interviewed by someone from the Chronicle who was interviewing the homeless in San Francisco about a certain project that was coming in. And so they took Tyson's picture, put it in the paper. A cousin sees it, sends it to Barron and says, I think this is Tyson. Barron says, it is Tyson. So what does Barron do? He goes to a detox center in the Sierras, books a room for his brother, sets up a GoFundMe site to pay the $40,000 that it's going to take to put his brother in that detox center, and then he decides he's going to go to San Francisco, not sure if he's going to find his brother, number one. Number two, not sure his brother's going to want to go into detox even if he does. So maybe he'll be saying goodbye, but at least he's going to try. So he hits the streets. Actually, first of all, he goes to the Chronicle. He finds the reporter that interviewed his brother, and she happens to be an interventionist for people on the streets. So the two of them go out on the streets, they have a picture of Tyson, they go walking down Embarcadero and down Market into the Tenderloin, going up to the people that are sleeping on the streets, um, saying, hi, how are you doing? Showing the picture and saying, uh, this is my brother, have you seen him? So now I'm looking for my notes here to see where I have this. So he goes to one person after another and he's getting no response. Have you seen this guy? This is my brother. No response, no response, no response. After 12 times, finally, he gets a lead. And he runs into a 47-year-old homeless man who gave his name as T. Yeah, I know that guy. He's a good dude. He's got some wisdom to him. Where can we find him? Well, he's kind of a loner, real smart, but sleeps in different spots. You'll have to look around. You miss your brother? Yeah. Keep looking. He needs you. Me? My family passed away. Nobody's looking for me. And you stay out here long enough, like me, it gets deep. When crap happens to you, it's like a tattoo. It never leaves. It'll kill you. But Tyson, at least he has you. Go find him. So Baron kept trying. And eventually he ends up at an injection center in the Tenderloin. He's talking with a group of addicts and showing the picture. And there's a guy there named Seven who, when he hears Tyson's name, he jumps up to on his feet. He runs over and he says, you have to find him, man. You have to find him. Tyson has been convinced beyond what normal people usually are that his family is looking for him. He's been saying that for a few, he's been saying that for a few years now. Lots of people are stuck out here. I lost faith in it. My family's done with me. But Tyson, he needs to be with people who love him, not brother junkies. He's smart. He just needs the chance. So they put their phone numbers on a card, and they gave it to Seven. And they said, well, if you see him, please call us. 10, 15 that night, Baron gets a phone call. They found Tyson. He races over from his hotel room, gets out of the car, Tyson comes over with his hand stretched out, says, hey, Baron. Baron just wraps him up in this big old hug. Eventually, they go back to the hotel room where Baron's staying, and uh, the interventionist, she asks him this. Now I've got to find the question. 
how would you feel about getting detoxed and going home with Baron to meet your niece? And this was an important question. He could easily have said no. But he said, okay, yeah. I hate being homeless. I could have gone to Oakland or some other place, but I stayed here in San Francisco because I wanted you to be able to find me. I just felt like my family would come for me someday. Now this article on the inside, it's got this big old title. It says, Picture Perfect Ending to Search. But they know it's a long road. And they know it's not easy. And at the end, they have these words from Tyson. There have been so many bottoms, it boggles the mind. Why did I have to suffer through days without being able to get out of the rain? Dope sick. Being a heroin addict. I don't know what God has in mind for me, what the point is, but I'm going to try to find out. Thank God Baron came looking for me. When I shared this story last week with Street Church, we all agreed it was God who came looking for Tyson. And as much as I love this story about Tyson being found by Baron, my attention went to those other guys who said, nobody's looking for me. It's like, yeah, God's looking for you. God is looking for you, and that's why we are here. Everybody, inscribed on the palms of God's hands, God is looking for you to lift, to heal, to restore, to guide, to fill you with the story, the miracle story so that other people can know God is looking for them. It's why we're here. It is why we are here. Paul to the Thessalonians, no accident God took me out of my way to you. It's real. You can trust this. Of all the things you're not sure you can trust, you can trust this. One of the greatest gifts I got recently was a letter back from one of my family members who I wrote to. And I want to read to you the last paragraph. Thank you for your love and support. Your kindness and faith is inspirational and an excellent reminder to me of the goodness in humanity that is not often seen or experienced by the people whom I am serving my time with. You know, in the midst of much hostility, what is it we can believe? What is it we can trust? Who is it we can trust? Paul to the Thessalonians is saying, you can trust what you experienced when I was with you. The good news of Jesus Christ, his nurturing, pursuing love for you is real. You can trust this. You can trust me and you can trust this. This is what the church is saying. Church is not perfect. We're an imperfect messenger, but the message you can trust. And the person of Jesus pursuing us, I think on this Mother's Day to hear that God's heart for all of us, there's this fierce mother love for you in the heart of God embodied in Jesus Christ. And you can lean into it 
fully with all of your being because it's real. Let's pray. Oh God, it's hard to believe and we pray for your faith in Jesus Christ. There is a part of us, every single one of us, just like seven and just like T, that can be convinced that nobody's looking for me. That nobody sees me, nobody sees what's really going on with me, but you do. It's amazing. So give us faith to believe. Give us open hearts to receive the fullness of your love for us that is here right now in Jesus Christ. Fill us with new life with a new beginning, with your new creation, through your death and resurrection, so that we can be your light in this world. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ.